literally in high school after prom, my friends and I went home and watched Spy Kids. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens, a podcast where we discuss feminist representation in pop culture. I'm Nellie. I'm Pate. And I'm Quinn. Whether you've listened to us for 12 weeks straight or are just joining us for the first time today, thank you so much for your support. Speaking of support, don't forget to follow us here on Spotify and on our Instagram at Feminist Fiends. We'd love to engage with you and hear your hot takes on the media we discuss. Also, please continue to support the Black Lives Matter movement in any way you can. Stick around to the end of this episode to hear us plug a few organizations to get involved with, and be sure to click the link in our Instagram bio to find out ways to support the Black LGBTQ community. Although the news crews and cameras may not be as focused on it, the fight for racial equality in this country still soldiers on. Let's keep our feet on the gas. This seems like an appropriate segue into today's conversation because I'm almost certain that our gal Amy would be out in the streets right now protesting in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. That's right. Today we're talking about 2019's Booksmart, written by Emily Halpern, Susanna Fogel, Sarah Haskins, and Katie Silberman, directed by Olivia Wilde, and starring Beanie Feldstein, Caitlin Deaver, and Jessica Williams. Let's go ahead and jump right into what I think will be a super robust discussion. So I myself was a book smart virgin. I had never seen it before. I know gasps, shock and awe from the audience. But since it came out last year, a lot of my female friends, including Pate and Nellie, have sung its praises and recommended it to me. I'm so glad that we're talking about it because, full disclosure, I loved this movie. But I'm curious, there were definitely some parts of this film that really spoke to my experience as a young woman, and I think that that's why it stuck out to me. What about this film do you all think speaks to our generation of Gen Z women? Yeah, I feel like while Booksmart presents a familiarity of kind of the typical coming-of-age teen dramedy, at the same time, it's very different. And so for me, it's kind of a fresh take on this, like, transitional stage um, that we see at the end of high school, um, something that we just experienced in a very complicated way at the end of college, and just kind of, like, I appreciate how the movie centers itself around strong female friendships, but also, like, particularly best friend, best friendship, and also, like, a friendship that's really based on activism and body positivity and being a smart and intelligent woman and pushing yourself to be your best. Um, We definitely see these two kind of fall short in that way. Um, Just to kind of note the Gen Z element, um, another movie I watched this weekend was 21 Jump Street with my brother, which is interesting to watch in kind of light of all of the police rhetoric, because the whole time I was just like Mm -hmm. a cab the whole time I was watching it. But it is interesting because that movie is set in high school as well. And you kind of see the change in how the cool kids nowadays are people that care about the environment and care about getting good grades in school. And so that's something that we also see in this movie that there's this expectation that you can't be, you can't enjoy yourself and do well. 
Um, and I think book smart shows that one, you shouldn't necessarily feel the pressures of, of the social system to fit yourself into it. But at the same time, like you can be successful and, and care deeply about social issues while also like letting yourself relax and have fun at times too. So I think that's like an, maybe a kind of more general theme of the movie, but that was something I appreciated and how it kind of broke down this, the typical high school stereotypes. The thing that I really loved most about it, like first watching it is I just think the expectation for comedy movies starring women is so low. And this is finally, I think, a genuinely funny movie with two female protagonists, protagoni, protagonies, like how do you say protagonists, plural? Protagonies? I think it's just protagonists. Two funny female protagonists. I looked up, you know, movies that we watched growing up thinking about like female coming of age movies. And while like some of them are funny and we maybe we'll talk about later, um, like Mean Girls, it's that movie is centered around boys and it's centered around, you know, popular, hot, straight women. Not that the women in Booksmart aren't like popular and hot, but you know, they're not Lindsay Lohan and Regina and um, Rachel McAdams trying to pretend like she's 18 years old when she's 26. Thank you. That's what I was going to say. They don't look like they're 40. Yeah. And like Clueless, um, 10 Things I Hate About You, House Bunny. Sorry, I'm just like looking on the internet. Like you might not have watched those growing up. But, you know, I think those are kind of like slapstick comedy, not in my opinion, not as funny as book smart. And I think this is one of the first really big blockbuster examples of um, a comedy uh, coming of age movie starring two women. I agree with that. And I think on like a super surface level and like the right now level, this movie spoke to me because I was, it made me realize how much I miss seeing my friends especially my female friends because I love that the focus throughout the film is on this bond of female friendship like super strong women who are supporting and loving one another unconditionally because I will say that's been my experience with most of my female friendships and so I didn't realize how refreshing that would be to see play out on the screen and it made me kind of take a step back and realize that a lot of the media I have consumed throughout my life even though it hasn't spoken to my experience, has been about women being catty in some way or another at each other. And of course, they get into that fight at the end, but there's so much lead up to it that it feels warranted. And I think that even though we are women and like we are quote unquote more caring and whatever, like you do pop off on your friends sometimes out of a place of love. And I, again, to what you were saying, Pate, like this wasn't centered around boys. So when they're fighting with each other, it's not like they're fighting over a dude, which again, it shouldn't feel that refreshing, but it really does. And also uh, going back to my first point, it just made me want to like go to a party again and like see my friends and be with them. And so I think that it kind of spoke to that side of my brain, which is like the quarantine brain of, wow, this kind of makes me take a step back and realize how much life has changed in that way. Just in the spirit of quarantine queens, like, 
I don't know how great Molly or Amy, Amy would love quarantine, actually. She would love some time to herself. But it, it was interesting. And I think that that made my heart a little sad because I wish that we had had that at the end of our college experience to be able to spend that time with all of those people. However, I will say when she was giving her graduation speech and was like, oh, it's so sad that it's over, you guys. Like, miss y'all. I, I was so ready to get out of high school. Like, I certainly felt that way about college. But 18-year-old me would have been like, I hate this and this is dumb. And so maybe that's just my personal experience. But this whole genre of, like, high school dramedy does not speak to, like, 17 or 18-year-old Quinn as much as it does to 22-year-old Quinn. Because, like, that point in my life, I was like, I'm just done and I need a transition. So I'm just saying that because that's something that I've heard from my other friends as well is, like, when we left high school, it didn't feel like that big of a deal. Like, to me, this felt like a seminal, we're moving out, we're leaving college. But that's probably because that's what I was projecting onto it. Um, so that's a good segue for my next question, because something that I've noticed, not only in Booksmart, but also on like picture, motion pictures, why did I just call them motion pictures? Am I 900? In movies, is this kind of elitism that is inherent in the high school dramedy. And you can even see it like going as far back as like John Hughes, where yes, in 16 Candles, like there's a class difference and things like that. But for the most part, high school dramedies focus and center around white characters living in a mostly upper class or upper, upper middle class area. And we definitely see that in Booksmart where, you know, the conflict at the center of the story revolves around social insecurity as opposed to something different like poverty or food insecurity. You know, these kids are all going to Ivy League schools. And although it's kind of glossed over that maybe Molly isn't as financially privileged as the rest of her peers because of where she lives. Um, she's still going to Yale. So again, that speaks to the fact that most of the films within the teenage high school dramedy genre are typically tailored to mostly white upper class um, experiences. And I was just curious, what do you make of that? And do you think that this film changes that in any way? What are your initial reactions? Um, I actually did notice that portion of that they kind of skim on Molly's family. First off, we don't see Molly's family and we're very involved with, um, with Amy's family, probably because her parents are hilarious characters and just I think add to the story, but we don't really see anything on Molly's side except where she lives. And I think we are supposed to take from that and understand that it kind of looks like what a motel-esque apartment that she lives in. But I was, I was actually thinking about this last night because I was thinking about your question and I think it's intentional. I think the movie is very well done and like part of me is saying this because it was like written and directed by women. And so I think that they wanted to be very intentional in how they portrayed it. Um, my only thing is like, I'm still questioning what was the intent? Like why specifically only look at the social aspect of this coming of age movie and not look at the other parts and, you know, part of me thinks, like, they wanted it to be more lighthearted because if you do bring in that, you know, portion of poverty and structure, you know, that can 
almost not weigh it down, but bring like a negativity to this supposed to, to this supposedly comedic film. Um, but yeah, I think it was intentional, but I just, I don't really, I cannot answer for what exactly the intent was. I agree with you, Pate. I think that the, it's really interesting how we only see the perspective really of upper middle and middle class um, individuals. We see a like small element of Molly's experience and we kind of, it kind of is alluded to the fact that at least compared to her peers, she is in a, at a class level very much at, a, at in the margin um, or outside the margin. But also I was thinking about this question that you wrote, Quinn, looking back on the movie. I was thinking about that part where she runs to, she's like going up to every single person and grabbing them by the shirt and being like, where did you get into school? Like, where are you going? And how essentially she had created this policy, like she had created this policy under her administration as president to be like, don't talk about it. Um, and I think she does it because she's like, oh, I'm so, like, I, I'm so kind to be doing this because, like, I'm going to this really amazing school and, like, my best friend's going to this really amazing school because I'm the valedictorian, she's the salutatorian, but, like, probably no one else is. We don't want to make them feel bad, which is, like, perhaps well-intentioned, but definitely complicated. And when she's doing this, all of these popular like the typical popular kids who seemingly don't care about school in her eyes are going to like harvard and like all these ivy league schools when one of them the one that isn't going to school is going to work at google and to me in the moment i didn't really realize this and i'm sure these individuals did work very hard but i also think it is important to recognize that like these individuals are like at a high class level at least the ones that we see like nick's family clearly is upper class, Gigi, obviously, who's going to Harvard, who I'm sure is, like, honestly fire when it comes to school because she was, like, sneaky in this film, and I feel like you have to be smart to be sneaky the way she is. But I was, like, even though Molly sees that, like, oh, people don't have to work as hard as they do or they can work hard and have fun, I also think that she probably did have to work twice as hard if she's at a lower financial capability, financial class. Like, she doesn't have the legacy to these universities, things like that, different advantages perhaps these wealthy students have. That's just something I was thinking about looking back on it. And the, the experience is definitely tailored to very, very white, very upper class experiences. But if you do think deeply about it, you can think about the obstacles that Molly does have to overcome that her peers don't, even if it's not necessarily a specific theme of the film. That makes a lot of sense because this is my second time watching this movie. The first time I watched it by myself in Denver when I had five friends last summer and I went to the Dollar Theater and watched Booksmart and it was great. But I really enjoyed watching it a second time with a critical eye because like the very first scene, like you said, when, you know, she she's almost like education shaming her peers because she's like, oh, well, I'm going to get into Yale and be very successful and y'all are just going to be nobodies because you didn't work as hard as me. And I was like, Molly, come on, girl. Like, let's not shame other people for like, you know, how hard they work. And maybe this is me because I don't have a job and I, I see all my peers getting jobs and I'm like, Molly, what would you think about me? Like, you probably think I'm lame. I kind of loved it when Annabelle... 
I don't want to call her AAA because she doesn't want to be called that. When she's like, I'm going to Yale too. I might be good at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SAT. And I was like, that's a flex. That was so iconic. That was so iconic. It's like a kind of like, it's, it's a flex. And so then I was like, heck yes. Like, tell her what's up. We're not going to slut shame in this gender neutral bathroom. So at first I was like, Molly, stop being like mean to your peers. But Nellie, your point make is, Nellie, you make an excellent point. Like, we're not given the backstory of Molly. So like maybe she did have to work harder than her peers. And so she kind of in her mind is like, oh, because I work so hard, I'm going to be rewarded. And then resents them once she realizes she worked super hard to be on the same place as them. For me, it's helpful to think of Molly that way in order to be able to empathize with her stance and to be able to be a little bit forgiving of her harshness. Um, The Guardian article by Benjamin Lee talks about this because in the typical movie, you'd be like, yes, queen, like fight for your, like self-advocate, like these people are being so mean to you. Um, And they are, like, it's not to say that they are not being really hurtful and harsh, but also when she does all of that and they kind of clap back at her in a very like matter of fact way you're like shit poor molly and you're also kind of like molly you were uh, you were mean like you really didn't have a right to assume that these people are like stupid (laughs) and like just because of their social status but i think if you think about kind of the i think if you think about the the lengths that she's gone to to get to her success it allows for you to empathize with that time that she is self-advocating even if it is harsh and you can hold her accountable to it as a viewer because you do see her growth throughout the film I think from that point especially with her relationship with Annabelle. So I know we were kind of like texting about this last night in our group chat but let's quickly go around and say what character we would be and why. We would be or we are. <laughs> let's honestly let's say which one we are because I'm sure we have lots of ideas of who we want to be. Mm-hmm. I guess I could say both, honestly. Okay, I was watching it and I think part of what why I cringe so hard at Molly is I think I low key am her. I also think people oftentimes perceive me as some very like no one's been like you're just like the character molly in book smart no one's ever said that but i do think if someone watched this movie and they were like who of your friends is like this they might be quick to say me and i do think it's interesting because this is something i brought up before but like very much at least in my senior year had a similar role of like class president type in college in high school, I flew very under the radar. I don't even think I would have been in Booksmart as a movie. I think I would have been someone who was just like chilling in someone's basement watching a movie because that's straight up what I did in high school. I was not at, I wasn't even, I wasn't de- delving into the books quite as hard. I wasn't sneaking into college libraries and I also wasn't like partying super hard. So I don't think I would have been in Booksmart in high school, but I do think in terms of like, I don't know, I, I don't think I'm nearly as like have the attitude of I don't care what people think that Molly has. Honestly, I really admire those qualities about her. So I guess it is something that if I could be Molly, I would be honored to have those things because I do, I can be really sensitive to how I'm impacting those around me. Whereas I think she's quick to be like, yes, I'm helping the system as a whole, but I'm also getting my success and prioritizing that. Um, Her role as a friend, I I resonated with a lot. 
and just kind of her uh her drive but also almost to a fault like I think my flaws I share a lot of Molly's flaws if I'm being vulnerable (laughs) so so yeah um if I could be anyone it would be Gigi I wish I could live that way that's the tea honestly I think for me I'm an Amy especially because I hardcore identify as a type 6 Enneagram Shouts out to Kayla Deep and Elizabeth Wilson and Sam Young, my Enneagram team. Also, Kate Reed. Yes, we love those sixes. Um, but whenever she's like super cautious and thinking things through, like times five million, I relate to that a lot. And I also relate to being in the position where I can be pretty passive in a lot of my friendships. Like Nellie sent me a funny meme today that was like, if you don't check in with me three times and connect with me and confirm that we're hanging out, then I'm just going to assume that you forgot and I'm not going to go. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. But also to Nellie's point, literally in high school after prom, my friends and I went home and watched Spy Kids. So like, I simply would not be in this film. I hated (laughs) my life in high school. I had like, a small group of friends, but genuinely just like hit under the radar. My one shining moment was when I was the lead in my um, theater classes play that we put on, but that play was Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, and I played a fourth grade boy. So like, as you can see, I simply was not like cool squirrel, and I don't think that I was cool squirrel in college either. I think that I was like surrounded by a lot of badass women that I was like, Yes, this is like another side tangent, but something that I appreciated about Amy is that even though she's not the one that's like standing at the forefront being like, hey, here's how smart I am. Let me remind you, she is intelligent and got into Columbia. And like, and that way I can kind of relate to it because whenever I am insecure, I think I turn into a Molly where I'm like, I need people to know that I'm like doing things and I'm successful and I'm like smart. But like at my healthiest, I do think I'm an Amy where... I just kind of go with the flow. I'm terrified and anxious about genuinely everything. Like, that is very true. But also, like, I think that it's better to, like, let someone's intelligence, like, ooze out of them rather than, like, speaking to it, if that makes sense. It's so funny because I... No, it makes so much sense, Quinn. But it's funny because I think... I mean, it's interesting, too, with the Enneagram because didn't we say that Molly... Did we say Molly is a three-wing four? Molly is a or three. Molly is a Yeah, so I think Molly embodies both my stress and my growth in the sense that like in her ability to like self-advocate and be unapologetic and prioritize herself, like that's something that like I do in my growth, but then I think my wing 3 while definitely keeps me going and keeps me like achieving, <laughs> it also is something that like will be a fall at times. But it, it's interesting because there super are no Enneagram twos in this entire movie. I don't think there is one at all. And so no, I think we've been over this. Amy's parents are hardcore too. Oh yes. Okay. So maybe I should have said that I relate most. Don't do Lisa Kudrow dirty Lisa like Kudrow. that. Sorry, Lisa Kudrow and I know that you're one of our biggest fans and donors, (laughs) Will Forte and Lisa Kudrow. Like, we love your support. Like, loved you in this film. They're both twos, and I can't imagine what it would be like to be raised by two twos. She's like, who are you? Okay, first off, I still don't know what I am on the Enneagram. Don't come for me. Hate! 
Kate. Quinn. I'm, I'm literally sorry. going to fire you and you're not going to get a paycheck from okay. this feed. I love this Enneagram podcast. I'm not going to get my <laughs> my five, my nickel from the podcast. Just kidding. We don't make yeah. money. Guys. We make no money. We, we literally make negative <laughs> yeah, doll hairs. Anyways, I think I'm a two wing three, but like when I, when I take that, I'm like, I know Nellie's a two wing three and she's such a better two wing three, but that's very but, uh, two wing three of me to say. I will. Yes. That's very two wing three of you to say. And also I don't think all Enneagram types are the same. Anyways, my mom's on the Enneagram kick and every week she's a different number. So, okay. We should not Please. talk about the Enneagram <laughs> anymore. <laughs> We're done. Okay. But character wise... You know, I think this just makes so much sense because when watching this film, obviously none of us specifically fall into each character perfectly, but I definitely saw Nellie as Molly, and I definitely saw Quinn as Amy, and I definitely saw me as Gigi just popping yes! up at every party. <laughs> A freaking yes! queen! Dude, I and I would I just, like... Y'all, I don't do the drugs that Gigi does. If the police or government is listening, I I'm not yeah, like worry. that type of Gigi mom, grandmom, whoever's watching. watching. But watching. like I just remember, <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the year when Quinn and I were in Tennessee Williams, I felt like Gigi when I would just like walk up to her and be like, I'm obsessed with you and then just disappear into the shadows. Like that's very <laughs> me, you know? <laughs> and then I don't know. She's just such a hot mess. And then she played Moonlight Sonata during their graduation and then fell over either blackout or hungover. One of those I relate to. Hey, at our 2021 graduation. Seriously, I'm going to be Gigi. Also, but I would not jump off the yacht like that. Dangerous stuff. Do y'all remember but when also, she jumped off the I yacht? You have that energy though, Pate. You can't I ignore that. that. A, you are very fashionable, and you do know all the parties, so I agree with that. But also, people sleep on the fact that Gigi is able to connect with people so easily. Like, even if they're like, who the heck is this gal? Like, she goes out of her way to make people feel comfortable and special and is also loyal as heck, which are three traits that I super attribute to Pate because... Like I'm literally of, tearing Pate, up. Like here. literally, Pate is like you go. When we were in college, she was just like. I mean, she is the badass queen. Like crying. at parties, I'm I crying. would show up at places <laughs> that I didn't know anyone, and Pate would be with her friends and be like, "Oh my god, Quinn, I love this outfit. Let's go dancing. Do you want a sip of what I have? Where are we going after this, girl?" And it's just like the best ever. We love Pate. We love Gigi. Also, Ooh, like. I think an important thing to name, too, is that it seems like Gigi takes advantage of Jared, who is one of my favorite characters, but, like, I think he, if I remember correctly, he talks about it in the car, how they're really tight, and he, like, loves her, and how, like, they're a really tight friend, and I think that, like, Pete, you would never, you would never give the illusion that, like, you're bad to someone, and they really love you, but I do think that you're able to connect to a really wide variety of people, Um, and, like Quinn said, make them feel special and loved especially in scenarios that can be like stress inducing for sure yay um, let's comment pay let's come home really crying <laughs> um okay so we talked about how this movie is kind of structured like a typical high school dramedy but it definitely differs from the ones that you named earlier pete while it certainly doesn't stray away necessarily from the norm when it comes to class as we talked about 
how does it set the stage for a new kind of dramedy? Do you think that future coming-of-age films will look like Booksmart? So Booksmart, the fictional high school in Booksmart, does not look anything like my high school, but I wish that it did because I loved I did love the diversity and sexualities and races that were portrayed in this. I mean, they didn't show us the whole school in this small group of friends. Um, and I, I think it's a great start to the expectations we should now have for teen coming of age comedies. Um, of course there are faults. I know you have a question, like we are going to talk about if the movie is, you know, white feminist or, um, you know, Quinn showed us this really interesting article that rated Booksmart. And when it came to race, it gave it a three out of five because although there is diversity there, um, they're all kind of whitewashed. So I think it's a great start. I think like it was, it was really good to see that as, you know, a young woman, even though I graduated from high school a long time ago, and technically I did go to a diverse high school, it was pre- still pretty segregated. Like white kids hung out with white kids and black kids hung out with black kids. So it was super refreshing and great to see um, a very diverse group of friends uh, on screen. I think that for me, I would love to see more coming of age movies look like this where I, and this, again, speaks to the fact that I am a white woman and the two protagonists were white women. Um, and so I think that when I say this, there is that amount of privilege in being, and quite literally seeing myself in terms of what the women looked like on screen. But also the way that they spoke, I think, is what really stuck out to me because most high school films, as we've talked about, really center white experiences and that's something that I think I took for granted until I got to college and recognized that and kind of looked around and was like whoa the media landscape is simply not diverse enough and so moving forward I would love to see and I think that we all would love to see this I would love to see more diverse people in terms of the way that they look the way that they think where they come from be at the helm of these kinds of movies because these movies have been coming out since like the 50s. They're not going anywhere. Clearly they speak to our generation and our parents' generation and their parents' generation. And I think it's really cool. It mentioned in the article that Pate was discussing um, how as we move forward, less than half of the country's teenagers are going to be white. So I think that movies should reflect that and show that white experiences are not the center and all be all. And it's also important to note that although this movie was written and directed by women, they are also white as well. So while the diversity on screen, I would agree, is really wonderful and it was something that I was really excited to see, um, I think that that could translate behind the camera as well. And perhaps that may lend itself to, I, I mean, I think it almost would certainly lend characters to not being whitewashed. But I will say it was really refreshing and exciting to hear women talk to one another like me and my friends talk to each other. Like a lot of the inside jokes and the things that they would discuss are totally things that my friends would say to each other. Like I think that if I was ever like, oh, you know, she's roadside assistance, I think that Pate and Nellie would be the first ones to be like, don't call her that. You know, and I I liked that they 
threw that in there with their relationship because that seemed real to me. And I think that it's about time Hollywood stopped trying to cast like 40 year old people who are hot and have like nine pack abs in these roles as teenagers and then make them talk like middle schoolers or like they're on the secret life of the American teenager. Like it was refreshing to feel seen and heard. Yeah. Um, Okay. Did you have a thought? No, I was just going to say Secret Life of the American Teenager is horrible. That's all I have <laughs> so to say. Yo, oh, I, I used to it with my parents. My parents and I would watch it together. I used to. So our, my, I would literally sneak it on and then have like Nickelodeon like ready on like the back button and then like switch it if anyone opened the door down to my basement. So I was literally, I would like secretly watch Secret Life. So Secret Life between Nellie Fagan was watching Secret Life of the American Teenager. Anyway. And Deadass did that too, but <laughs> instead of like Secret Life of the American Teenager, I watched MTV and they had <gasps> way worse stuff. I did the exact same thing. And me and my sister used to share a room and we would listen to 107.5 The River before we went to sleep. And like, I remember when my humps came on and we'd be like, like it would come on in the car and we would be like, we don't know this song, but in the back of our mind, like, but <laughs> to private school and we're only allowed to listen to christian radio until i was in second grade did we all have the same childhood i think we did y'all i one time got in trouble for singing for singing buttons that is a sexy song my mom was like what do you think that song's about and i was like i don't know if she's hot and she took her sweatshirt off (laughs) i guess there aren't buttons in a sweatshirt but i said like sweater like i didn't think that she was getting naked i had a very like logical response i was like she is taking her top layer off she not is her, top, her top layer. not her top not her pants nothing <laughs> just no. her sweater but anyway kind of back to the new teen dramedy in his review of book smart for the guardian the article i mentioned earlier Benjamin Lee writes, quote, it shouldn't feel this refreshing in 2019 to see two teenage girls talk about sex so freely and so awkwardly, but there's a raw, untempered quality to the dialogue that feels quietly revolutionary. This is also reinforced by the film's comfortability with Amy's queerness, a rare mainstream portrayal of a young lesbian coming to terms with her burgeoning sexuality. As revelatory and as confusing as the journey faced by her straight peers, just as it should be portrayed, end quote. <laughs> anyway, so like, that was really rough me reading through it, but I'm just simply not going to do it again. But anyway, like, I agreed with this notion of how queerness is prevent- presented in the film. Um, I particularly appreciated there being a, like, lesbian woman at the forefront. And I think the industry has a handful of coming-of-age stories that grapple with internalized homophobia and backlash after coming out. And while those are really important storylines to present, I appreciated how Amy's struggles were in line with her straight counterparts and how it's just kind of definitely still... Of course, like the quote said, like coming to terms with her burgeoning sexuality, but also just kind of dealing with the general awkwardness of the earliness of relationships. And so to me, I feel like that in itself was something that made this, like help to set the stage for a new teen dramedy. So what do we think? White feminist, intersectional feminism, elements of both, specifically one. Can a film be intersectionally feminist if the two protagonists are cis white women? What do y'all think? 
I think it's probably one of the more intersectional films for better or worse that we have talked about on this podcast. And that's mostly because we like to pick the movies that we grew up with. And as three white women, we grew up with problematic films. Um, But I think that, as you said, Nellie, there's a real effort. But I also love the way in which Amy's sexual experiences and growing into her sexuality doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of effort behind it the way that it is portrayed I myself as someone who identifies as straight was like oh my god yeah like I can relate to that hookup experience mom dad please do not listen to this episode um but I think that it's definitely like headed in the right direction and I do think that a film can be intersectionally feminist if it has two white women at the helm. Although, as I said, I would like to see women of color and black women at the helm of the next movie that comes out that's kind of in the same genre as Booksmart. And even more than that, I would like to see women of color in the writer's room who are bringing these experiences to life. However, I do think that Booksmart is a lot of fun and it's something that I'll probably watch with my daughter Wait, that made it sound like I have a child. I don't have a child. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! But this is like a movie that I want to watch with my mom and that I would watch with my daughter and her friends. And I I think that it sets a good baseline for like intersectionality. And I would give this movie a good rating for imperfect intersectionality. I think that Booksmart is a really good movie, but I just... You know, in a perfect world, we would have so many different movies that we don't have to just pinpoint this movie as being like, okay, this needs to be the end-all, be-all, best film ever. Because I think every film we're going to analyze has um, is imperfect. And I think for what it's trying to do, it does a great job. But, you know, I think if we did have more, like Quinn said, more women writers and more women of color writers then we could have more options and wouldn't have to be like, okay, book smart. You have to check all these boxes. Um, because like, I think it does a great, um, it, it is great with queer representation and the relationships just feel so normal. And it's not like, Oh, like, you know, the black friend or the black teacher or the gay friend, like, you know, or of course there's like stereotypical gay characters in book smart, but it doesn't just stop there. It's also one of the main characters is gay as well, um, if that makes sense. No, I agree that while, like we said earlier, the characters of color are likely are are whitewashed and likely pressured to assimilate to white society. Also, I think the movie does a good job of at least attempting to stray away from the kind of typical black best friend, gay best friend um, that we see in so many of these films. And really those, as we, as we know, those characters are usually put in a film to benefit the white protagonist, the straight white protagonist. So it's not to say that, that, that this film is completely rid of that, but I do think it does a good job of not doing the cookie cutter layout of the cast. For a movie that has two white women main characters, I think it's pretty intersectional as it could be um do we want to dive into resources yes okay y'all my resource this week is pretty brief um it also it takes only like i don't know 10 15 minutes to do at most um but it is very much an action item 
and you should do it if you haven't already or check your registration status. I'm telling you to register to vote. You can sign up on the USGov website, but I signed up, I registered to vote on turbovote.org um, when I think I requested my absentee ballot there when I was at Swanee. It's just really important to cast your vote. Um, we have seen so much injustice in this country since the beginning of time. And the only change, uh, the only way that we can see change is if we see change in our government. And so use your voice, encourage everyone you know to vote and make sure you're registered and make sure that um, if mail-in voting is a thing for your state, make sure you're getting that squared away. I know Massachusetts residents have received their application for mail-in voting. So make sure you send that in. Um, I think especially during this time, if that's a resource we have, we want to be able to do it. So turbovote.org, get registered. It literally doesn't take very long and you can't wait until the election is happening to do it. So please do it literally right now. Thank you. My resource is called Portland Action Medics. You can follow them on Instagram at Portland Action Medics. Um, it's a loose area network that is servicing protesters and people who are currently trying to stand up and fight against the injustices that are occurring in Portland, Oregon, which if you are not well-versed on that subject, which admittedly I was not until the past couple of days, definitely take some time to check it out. Super scary stuff is going on and it's important that we all stay engaged and involved. Um, but Portland Action Medics has been on the front lines. You can donate to them through Venmo directly. Their Venmo is rosehip dash medics you can also check them out online at www.rosehipmedics.org um, and again they're just distributing supplies and medical care to protesters who are out on the front lines so definitely check them out donate if you can and at the very least educate yourselves about what is going on in portland and my resource this week is forpeopleofcolor.org uh, it's an organization uh, that provides free high-quality law school admissions consulting services um, to prospective law school applicants. And um, this is, I chose this one because it is semi-on brand with um, the movie this week as Molly wants to uh, be go to law school. And when I was scrolling through the Twitterverse, I saw this tweet that was talking about how incredibly expensive it is to just apply for um, medical school and the MCAT. And um, I wanted to kind of find a resource for that, but for law school. So forpeopleofcolor.org is a great place to start. Cool. And so we will close out with a quote today. Shout out to Pate for compiling these. Shout out to those gals in the writer's room for writing these. This is my personal favorite. It's by Molly, which is, we are not one dimensional. We are smart and fun, which I think is true for all of us. Also, if you're a listener, you're clearly smart and fun too. You're not one dimensional. Thank you for listening to us ramble each week and follow us on Instagram at Feminist Fiends. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.